Here we go. I got a new backdrop today. It's pretty good. I think this is the most extensive we've ever decorated for VBS. Looks good, don't it? Yeah, it looks good. There's a lot of good time. I think they had, they've had 14 maybe pray this week for salvation. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's the main thing, right? Keep the main thing the main thing. Exodus 20, verse 18. Uh, Sister Mary's fine. She, those of you all that got to go on that trip, and she had uh, surgery Monday. And uh, so she's good. She, uh, we are live. So I told them, she, they took a big kidney stone out and put another stent in for Sister Mary. And uh, I said, you told them they could keep that big stone, didn't you? She said, I told them to send it to hell where it come from. <laughs> uh, that's good, good. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 18 of chapter 20. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your long suffering. We thank you for your patience. Thank you for your forgiveness. We ask you to be with us today as we get in your word. We thank you for all you're doing this week in our Bible study, Lord, or in our vacation Bible school, I should say, and uh, for all the salvations, and we just give you praise for that in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're watching us live, that's what this backdrop is. It's our VBS is going on this week. We had a little uh, devotion time last night down at the river for those who weren't involved with that. Um, and uh, so we're going to pick up with our Bible study today uh, with this backdrop here as, I, as we study. So uh, we're going to pick up in Exodus 20 verse 18. It says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and lightnings and flashings and sound of the trumpet. This was after the Ten Commandments were uh, talked about. We talked about week before last. Uh, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, You speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. So there was this overwhelming fear come over them because of the uh, display of God's power and mightiness with, once again, with the weather or nature. Now let me tell you a couple of things. Uh, bigger problems, theological problems with the people who are running around scared to death, the world's going to, whatever they say, they say. That assumes that God can't fulfill what he's said he's going to fulfill. That we're going to get in God's way somehow and destroy this planet. We don't get the privilege of doing that. He's going to destroy this planet. And he's got a plan. It's going to play out just like he said it would. And I just, you know, I, I tell you all this from time to time. Nature, weather, is the one place that God lets everybody know who's in charge. Because there's not a thing we can do about it. We can't keep it from snowing. We've all prayed for rain because we've needed it. And God has answered that prayer this week. And we're thankful. But we've been going through a mini drought. I mean, if we could have made it rain three weeks ago, we would have, right? So we... I think just this, again, reminds everybody, even the lightning and the thunder, whew, there's somebody out there that's in charge, and it's not us, right? And so just take his word, and I know you all do that. I'm talking to a wider audience. I know take his word, let it be your guide. Hang on to that. 
because I was reading yesterday in, in Matthew where Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass away till everything's done exactly like God said. It's not going to be the way I say it. It's not going to be the way the Baptists say it or the Methodists say it or the Pentecostals say it. It's going to be the way God said it. That's exactly how the world's going to play out. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that His fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And I shared this in Job uh, last Wednesday, that I got a fresher, deeper revelation of the fear of God. To really have the fear of God, you recognize your position versus His. That's where the fear of God stems from. We've had both sides carry that way too far. We've got this crowd over here that make people afraid to even talk to God. And then you've got this crowd over here that's watered it down so far. They act like it's just being reverent. It's deeper than being reverent. And it's not a place, though, where you're afraid to approach your father. So there's a, a reverence that's deeper than just be quiet when you go to church. You know, it is recognizing your position or my position versus his position and the authority and all that. And it says, So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near in the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You, sh you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything be, uh, you shall not make anything to be with me uh, to be with me, gods of silver and gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. An altar of earth you shall not make for me, and you shall sacrifice, <clears throat> and you shall sacrifice on, on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. So if we're, and we'll get into the tabernacle eventually here, but we'll talk more about it then. But these, the, uh, the priests would wear breeches, what was called breeches. So it was kind of like shorts underneath their robes. And they had a ramp. And God separated how his people were to build things and to approach him, even in the natural, to distinguish them from the pagans and how the pagans did their thing. So their nakedness was not to be exposed. So he set them up more like a ramp type setting to make their way up to the altar. And they were they had linen breeches and a robe and a mitre and the breastplate. A lot of stuff that we'll talk about when we get deeper into the tabernacle. And actually I should probably will have some things and you'll see how all that prayer journey was birthed out of that as we get through start walking through all this he says uh he says now these are the judgments uh which you shall set before them if you buy a hebrew servant he shall serve six years and the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing so their own family now if you think about this the system was somewhat different and this is interesting to me because people uh, understood it differently in those days. If I got in debt in such a way that I couldn't pay my debt, then I would 
give myself and quite possibly my family to a landlord or somebody who had uh, land and had agriculture or whatever, and, and I would serve them to pay my debt off. My, me and my family would serve them. So we would spend that time there. Now, they had guidelines. They were not to be treated as slaves like we do, like we did early in this country. They were to be treated like family, basically. That's how God wanted. And once they had worked these six years, then they were to be released. But they were serious about paying their debt. I, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Dave Ramsey, because he's a Christian, he filed bankruptcy, maybe was it twice he talks about? I think he might have filed it twice. I know he filed bankruptcy. But he went back and paid all those people as he got on his feet. Uh, I mean, that's the Christian thing to do. If you, if you can. I mean, our system, I thought, that's, that's, a, that's a story. I, have you all, any of you ever watched Cinderella Man? It's a true story that uh, Ron Howard, Opie, <laughs> made. It's about this boxer back during the Depression who... Bro, it's probably my favorite. I watch about one movie every five years. My family doesn't. <laughs> but they, uh, it's probably my favorite movie, that and Les Miserables. Uh, but uh, anyway, he, he breaks his hand and he gets out. And so, you know, this was the time when unemployment was extra, uh, uh, phenomenal. And so he can't fight and he goes down to the docks. And the, the, during the Depression, you would go to the dock. And there would be hundreds of men trying to get a day's work. They would hire you for the day. You got hired, and they would pick guys. And so uh, over time, he, would, he went through this whole scenario, and he wound up having to get government uh, assistance and everything over time. Then he wound up getting able to box again, and he won the title again. His, uh, uh, I forget his real name. Uh, but anyway... It's a true story. It took place around New Jersey. Well, then he went to the war. I mean, he was a true blue patriot. Then he went to the war and fought in the war. Then he came home and, and uh, became a construction guy. He built a lot of the bridges up around New Jersey and stuff. I mean, it's real pretty. But he, once he got on his feet, he went and paid the government back the money they gave him. That's a pretty powerful point in the story that he took the money back to the government that he because he he didn't really want to take it you know he was that kind of a guy and he went and paid the money though those people are few and far between uh who live like that now most people are just looking for anything they can get for free you know i mean that's the kind of culture we've developed right i want something for free uh but it's it's good to see it's it's kind of heartwarming to see people who are uh all in you know and uh, so it's a pretty, pretty powerful story. So these guys would give themselves, and then the, the Jewish people had different guidelines from God of how they were to treat their servants. We'll call them servants. Uh, if he comes in by himself, he should go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife should go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Hold on. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now this is what Paul's talking about in the New Testament when he talks about a bond servant. 
Somebody, because he understood his Jewishness, right? Somebody who chose to stay with their master because they had the life they wanted, right? So he talks about that with Christ, how we surrender our right, our rights of freedom. As when we become Christians, we surrender our right to do our own thing, right? I mean, that's really the crux of Christianity. You can look around and say, well, we, we sing and we gather and we do good deeds. But the heart of Christianity is when you and I say, I'm laying my life down and I'm going to do what you want me to do. That's the heart of Christianity. And so the bond servant is somebody who decides to stay because they... Uh, they love their master, they love their life. If, if you, you know, these things kind of had to all come from, but if you look at a tenant farmer, right? They lived off the land of somebody else. They provided them a home and things, and they had a good life. If, if they were coming over here from somewhere and didn't have nothing to start with, they got tied in with a family, a good family that gave them a place to live and used their labor to help the business or whatever. All that stuff can get out of whack. We all know that. We know people abuse people, take advantage of people, but that's a hard issue. That's really a hard issue. If I take advantage of somebody, then I've got a heart problem, right? Anything can be used for evil if, if, if there's evil intent behind it. And so, but these people, he, he's given them opportunity to leave. And I'm sure, I'll guarantee you their situations. I, I, because I know how I would feel. You know how you would feel. If a guy had fulfilled his duty, and he married a woman while he was there and had three children, I probably would, I feel like I would say, if you want to stay, you're welcome to stay. But if you want to take your family and go and start a life, so, I, I'm good with that. I mean, that's how I, we know people had those kind of hearts. Like, but sometimes they chose to stay and they took them to, the, to drill a hole in their ear to repre represent that they were a bond slave. In other words, they had freedom to go do their own thing, but they chose to stay. And that's what Christianity is about, right? You don't have to come here today. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to pray. You don't have to give. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to do any of that. You do it because you're in love with the Lord. You realize that everything you have has come from His hand. And so that makes us bond slaves, right? Nobody forced us to be Christians. Nobody's forcing us to be here. Nobody's forcing us to do the right thing. But we are bond servants. We've chosen to lay our, our freedom down to take the freedom that He offers us. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not, she shall not go out as her male slaves as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, uh, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. So guidelines. God's given them guidelines. And if you think about it, this, sounds, this is foreign to us. I understand that. But you go somebody. I'll tell you the story about this someday after I figure it out myself. But somebody handed me this silver dollar this week. Uh, they didn't have these back in their days. This one's from 1804. And uh, they found it under a fence post somehow. But they handed it to me for a reason, and I'll tell you about that some other day. <laughs> but this, uh, they didn't have this kind of stuff. So you didn't work for money. You worked for 
You bartered. Maybe you paid your debt with salt because salt was very valuable uh, in those days. Uh, just a lot of, lot, of, lot of stuff different than what we would understand, right? So the greatest way to pay a debt that got extreme would be to offer your labor, your family's labor or whatever, to get out of that debt. You know, your great, great, the greatest resource, and we've forgotten this, and I saw this the other day, and, and I saw this on the economic channels. I like to watch CNBC sometimes or listen to it and Fox Business News. I like to hear those business perspectives and try to keep as much poli- Those two channels usually keep the politics out of it. But I was listening to one of those guys talk about one of the things that's going to hurt America in the next 20 years is how far the birth rates dropped. We're not having them children like we used to. And it went, it spiked up a little bit during COVID because everybody was home, you know. But it's, the trend has been like this. And so the birth rate's going down in this country, and they, the economists, are thinking that's going to come back to bite us at some point. So your greatest, our greatest asset, we, we, used to say this, uh, was our children, right? They are our greatest asset. Now, a lot of people, if you ask them that, they'd probably tell you it's their iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of culture we live in, right? But our greatest asset is the, the children that we're bringing up, especially if we're training them in the ways of God and if we're teaching them to be good citizens and to do the right thing and to work hard, to, to, to go out and work hard to be hard workers. So in their day, this was certainly true. You know, they didn't carry a silver dollar in their pocket. Neither do I. This is just a rare occasion. But they didn't, they didn't do that kind of stuff. They, their, their life and their ability to work was their greatest asset. And uh, so God's given them guidelines for all this. He's betrothed her to his son. He sh- uh, and if he's betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. You see that? If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marriage rights. And if he does not do these, uh, these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. So God said, if you're going to bring them in as a servant, you've got to treat them correctly. I, I, I grew up with a couple of boys whose mother was wealthy, very wealthy. Uh, because of her father, and, and she was a hard worker. I mean, they owned a hotel, and she would be down there cleaning the toilets, and they owned prime property, restaurant, a lot of stuff. And they had a live-in maid. It's kind of unusual for our area, uh, but she was, she was like family. She treated me just like one of them when I stayed all night with them, you know. She, but they treated her great. She loved them. She... They had she had her own quarters, sleeping quarters, but she was there every day because the mother had to oversee so many businesses, and she was like a nanny, a live-in nanny. They bought her cars. If I went and stayed all night with them, when I got up the next morning, all the clothes I had on were washed and folded and laying beside the bed. She was really she was on top of everything, and uh, but they treated her. Her name was Kathy. They treated her like family. She wasn't educated. She didn't speak very well. Uh, 
But she was a hard worker and she loved that family and they treated her and they made her part of that family. And so she was uh, uh, took in, she was taken in by them and she, they just treated her like family. Uh, uh, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. These are called cities of refuge. God created cities of refuge so that if an accident happened and somebody lost their life or even like cattle or somebody's property was destroyed, you could flee to that city of refuge. And Israel had five of them, which is the number of grace, right? They had five of these cities of refuge and you could flee to them and kind of be like in holding until the story could be verified. If you, if you came in there and said, I killed a man, but it was an accident. We were chopping wood together and the axe head flew off and hit him in the temple and he, lay, he died. Then they would have an investigation. But you would be kind of in a holding place until that investigation was finished and they determined whether or not it really was an accident. Or if you had premeditated to, to kill somebody or to steal their livestock or to kill their livestock. And uh, he says, But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So he may come looking for a reprieve, but if he did it with intent, he's not going to get it. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hands, shall surely be put to death. So you don't think about that, right? You don't think about kidnapping back in those days, but men's hearts have always been evil. <laughs> Do you know we've had two people kidnapped here in the last two weeks? One in Mercer and one in Lawrenceburg. And uh, maybe another one I heard about. But anyway... It's, uh, it's, it's everywhere, right? And I, I think I've said from this pulpit a time or two that they're now saying that this child trafficking, if it keeps going the way it is, and human trafficking is going to be bigger than the drug traffic. Oh, I don't doubt it, yeah. So they, and they can get a lot more money out of a human than they can. And like somebody was saying, they was reading, we were talking last night, they were saying, that a person can be sold multiple times. Just oh. Shows it from what's. Wow. Well. Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Caviezel. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't want to open a can of worms here, but they say there's so much that's went on even in the, in our own country with the people in higher positions where this Epstein guy's been died or I guess. They, this Oh, wow. So within the last 18 months, that's what I guess. It really 
makes me want to rent my clothes when I think about what happens to some of these children. Wow. Wow. That's sickening. It's sickening. And they say, I just learned this this year, that the Derby's a big place where girls get, children get snatched in Kentucky here. I didn't realize that. One of the policemen told me how, how bad it is around the Derby. And, of course, Sturgis, the motorcycle rally, up there on those Indian reservations. Yeah, it's It's horrid. It's horrid. It's horrible. It. I can't think about it. I can't think about what would happen to these children and what happens to them. <clears throat> he who curses his father, his mother, shall surely be put to death. If men contend with each other, one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed. If he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time. He shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. So that was insurance back then. That's how the guy who was responsible for your injury paid till you got on your feet. Uh, what's this? This was uh, Aflac. <laughs> That's what this. <laughs> if, uh, and if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod or, uh, so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished, notwithstanding if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. So if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband imposes on him. And he shall pay us the what the judge has determined. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, Hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now that's what changed in the New Testament in this sense. If we don't repent, we're go people will have that same experience, I believe. If you don't repent and come to Christ, hell's going to be horrid. The Bible says those who were uh, beat with few stripes will be beat with few. Those who so there is... There seems to be degrees of suffering as well as degrees of reward. You know, some people, Paul said, will be saved as though by fire. Their works will be burned, but they'll get in by the hair of their chinny-chin-chin, <laughs> like we say in that, in that nursery rhyme. So these people, <clears throat> what happened in the New Testament, mercy has uh, triumphed over judgment. That's what Paul says in the New Testament. Now, you don't get off the hook if you're not willing to repent. You need to repent. Uh, Jesus said, if uh, we don't forgive, we can't get forgiven, right? He made that statement one time. So you don't just get off the hook. You need to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. But if we ask, mercy triumphs over judgment. So God has mercy on us because... Of the work of his son. What the blood of bulls and goats could not do. The blood of Jesus has done. So it satisfied the father. So Jesus told us right. He said. I think it might have been Peter who asked. How many times do I have to forgive somebody. You know he was having a bad day. When he asked that. Like I'm going to whoop John if I can. <laughs> and uh, so he's probably having 
struggles, right? And Peter, what we love about Peter and David is they're wide open and real, right? I mean, they just show us the reality of the flesh, but they also show us the reality of victory and how much God can do in somebody's life no matter what. And uh, so I, the Jesus says to him, said 70 times 7, right? Remember that? Now, prophetically, he took us back to the book of Daniel. He knew what Daniel said. So the first thing he's saying, practically, is you've got to forgive him all day, right? Who's going who's gonna to have to forgive somebody 490 times in one day? None of us, right? Uh, but he's basically saying also because of what Daniel prophesied, Jesus is saying, you've got to forgive till this thing's over. That's what he's saying. Because Daniel said, you know, 70 weeks, 77-year periods, 490, same number, numerology Jesus used over there, are determined till everything's done, till the king's crowned, and till there's an end of sin and all that. So basically Jesus was saying, you've got to keep forgiving until this thing's over. Now, if you don't forgive... You don't get forgiven. Now, that's strong language, right? I didn't say it. I'm just quoting what Jesus said. So forgiveness is essential for you and I to get to heaven. We have to be forgiven for other people to be able to move on. And they need God's forgiveness. And we need to give each other forgiveness. I, go ahead. Yeah, that's what, that's what it is. I believe God's instructing him and he's handing it off to him, which would have been the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yeah, and, and he's giving it off. Now, you've got to realize these people are living under the law, right? They're, they're being instructed. Let me draw this. Let me show you something here. Abram, who later became Abraham, or Abraham. Is that showing up? All right. Andrew threw a big dish rag up there so it show up. He was called to follow God by faith. God's always wanted us to live by faith. But Israel said, we don't want to follow you, God, even though you put a pillar in a cloud and you did a good job. But we'd like a king like everybody else. We want a president like America and like Russia. They said, basically, we want a king like everybody else. And God said, and Samuel was kind of upset with them, right? He said, I, and God said, don't worry about it, Samuel. He said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Remember when God told him that? So God said, okay, I'm going to show you some things. Here's my law. If you want to live with me, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to keep my law. And guess what? Nobody could. Not even most. The only one that could keep the whole law was Jesus. And he said he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So the law had to be kept in order for us to have eternal life. And so God knew we couldn't do it. But, he, but we're stubborn, right? He talks about how stubborn Israel is. I'm stubborn, you're stubborn. Maybe we're not as stubborn as we used to be, but that's the work of the Lord and the Holy Spirit in our lives bring us to more humility. But... Then the cross, right? So in between Abram or Abraham and the cross, you have the law. This, these are the demands. What, that's not the requirements is probably how I'd like to say that. These are the requirements of God if you want to have 
uh, have fellowship and walk and live with Him. But we couldn't keep the law. But God's intention was not for us to live under the law. He, he called Abraham to live by faith. So God's always called us to live by faith. The law was given because we're stubborn. Right? Have you ever, do you ever remember letting one of your children or grandchildren do something you knew they couldn't do, but they had to prove it to themselves? Go ahead, have at it. Right? And uh, the first mini bike that somebody let me ride, remember mini bikes they used to have? I hadn't ridden a mini bike my whole life. They wanted to tell me a few things about it, but I was stubborn. Get out of my way. I'll ride this thing. Next thing I know, I wreck face first into where a septic tank was boiling out of the ground. What a lesson, right? What a wonderful lesson. So I still haven't gotten over that to this day. <laughs> so God wants us to live by faith, but he knew that we needed to see what we couldn't do, right? And so now the law, if you, re if you watch that little clip on our YouTube channel called the X-Ray, that's what this is about. There's a little 15-minute clip where I talk about what the law does. It's an X-Ray. It's not the medicine. It's not the doctor. It's the X-Ray. So the law, Paul said, I didn't know sin till the law came alive and sin come alive in me and I died. So that's what the law does. It's an x-ray, and that x-ray exposes the problem, but it don't fix it, right? So you have to have the great physician or a doctor with the medicine or the, the means or the know-how to set the bone or whatever. So the law was never designed to redeem us. It was designed to expose us. And we're stubborn, and we needed to know that, right? It's a famous... They say... It's the famous last words of a hillbilly, but I think these are the famous last words of anybody, right? Watch this. Get out of my way and watch this. So God said, okay, here you go. You want to live with me? Here's what you got to do. And we're like, oh, we can't do that. We can't keep that, Moses. So God's intention has always been for us to live by faith. So he says, uh, if a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his oath, sake of his tooth. Now, I, when I read that, I'm thinking, were people like that then, the way they are today? You know, but they were. God knew us, didn't he? He had to give this kind of instruction because. He knew. And you know what? It started right out of the gate, really, right? Cain killed Abel. Slew him. Right, just right out of the gate. If, the, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, and the ox shall surely be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but if the owner of the ox uh, shall be acquitted, but if the ox tended to thrust with its horn at times past, he shall be made known to his... and it, and it was made known to his owner... And he has not kept it confined, so that he has killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, his owner shall be put to death. Now see, that's somebody who knows, right? Uh, and they didn't take responsibility for it. So, this situation, is a, God's very extensive here, right? I mean, He's covering everything. Years ago, 
I had an insurance guy who was a friend of mine, and he said, if you've got a dog that's aggressive, he said, do not put up a beware of dog sign. He said, because the first thing the lawyer will do is say, you knew your dog had potential to do that. That's why you had that sign up. And you'll be liable. He said, if you've got, he, he said, do not put up a, be, he said, if you've got a dog that's aggressive, do not put up a beware of dog sign. He said, because you're admitting, and, he, and we all know how slick lawyers can be, right? You're, he said, you're admitting to the public that you know your dog has potential to hurt somebody. I had never thought about it that way. So, and everything, you know how everything, you, in your heart and mind, you may be thinking, I'm trying to keep people from getting bit, right? But that's not how that'd be viewed in court. That they would, uh, and so he gave me a little school. So this guy here, if he knew that his ox had potential to injure somebody, and he didn't take means to secure that, then he he lost his life over this because it took somebody else's life. So, but if the ox, ten, uh, he says, uh, if there is imposed on him a sum of money then he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him, whether it is uh, gored a son or gored a daughter, according to the judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox goes a male, gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Have you ever heard this story before, that if, uh, like if those alligators or crocodiles get a taste of blood, they have to kill them? If they get up out of the canals in Florida or wherever they're they're in Myrtle Beach everywhere, but they, if they taste that blood, they say they'll come back for more of it. So they they usually euthanize them if there's an animal that's actually eat a human or took a bite out of a human because once they get a taste for that, they say. Uh, whatever's imposed on him, whether it is gore to son or daughter, it's, it's going to be there. If a man opens a pit or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. So basically, what's God saying? You need to be responsible. All right? If one man hurts another, another so that he dies, uh, then he shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. Or if it is known that the ox tended to thrust in time past, and there is an owner has not con- kept it confined, he shall surely pay the ox for ox, or the dead animal shall be his own. I don't know if I've ever uh, seen this or heard about it even. Maybe some of you, have you ever heard of a court proceeding where the person just said, I'm guilty? I'm guilty. And we don't see that anymore, but it seemed like it just walked in. They said, I've done it. You know, there ain't much of that anymore. But that was kind of the way God's talking here. Whatever you responsible for, you're responsible for. What kind of world would we have if everybody just took responsibility for their own actions? I tell people all the time when I counsel them, I think one of the most frustrating things to all of us is you can't fix somebody else, right? You'd like to fix them, right? But you can't. The only person you can fix is you. 
between you and God. You can pray for other people. And if you have an opportunity, they open the door, you can share good truths with them. But it takes the Holy Spirit to fix people. We don't have the power to do that. And that's frustrating. When I counsel with people, I may see something that they don't see. But if they don't see it, you can't get movement in it. You have to pray and wait till they see it. And the Holy Spirit revealed that to them. And some people are easier to counsel than others, right? Some people come looking for help. And you, we've all, because we're all counselors to some degree, somebody's going to come. And some people come looking for justification. They're not really looking for help. They want somebody to tell them. And, and I've learned this in 30-some years. Most people's idea of fair is when you see it their way. <laughs> That's most people's idea of fair is when you see it their way. You're fair when you see it. But I, I, I would say, I've counseled a lot of people over the years, they want the truth. That, they want to hear what God's perspective is on things. So that's always good, and that makes uh, counseling a little bit easier. If a man, let's go a little bit further before we quit. If a man steals an ox or sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is, is found breaking in he should, and he is struck that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Hmm. Now, our justice system has got so lopsided that the people that come in to steal can actually sue the homeowner. <laughs> I mean, it's different. Woo! Thank God someday everything will be settled, right? If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found, if the thief is cert, if the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it's an ox or a donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. Just that kind of language there lets you know what value, what things had value, right? People who had livestock. That's why Job. You know, we talk about Job. His wealth was in livestock, primarily. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and, and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, <coughs> excuse me, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. Do you know, I, I remember a couple instances where somebody was killed over a fence line. Yeah. Uh, they got arguing over where the fence was supposed to be and one of them wound up dead. If a fire breaks out and catches its thorns, so it's stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. If a man de uh, delivers, his neighbor, uh, delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, or sheep, clothing, or any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judge, and whomever the judge condemns shall pay double. Now, do y'all, I seem like I remember my grandparents, parents, everybody saying this, do not take anything that doesn't belong to you. I heard that all the way growing up. And that included hotel towels. <laughs> right? I mean, 
Everything. I, 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 I worked around men that would take a tool home and whatever off the job, but that's not what we're supposed to do. It doesn't belong to us. And um, I remember hearing that. My, do, do not take, and probably I probably heard that from my school teachers years ago. Uh, they talked to us about things like that instead of showing transgender movies in class. How far we've fallen. Uh, do not, I, I thought, what if those two things happen in this country? What if you couldn't tell a lie and you couldn't take anything that didn't belong to you? That would change the whole culture, wouldn't it? It'd be like, did we move to Disney World or <laughs> Gatlinburg? Uh, <laughs> live, we're living there, living on in the candy shop at Gatlinburg. Uh, <clears throat> if a man delivers his uh, neighbor a donkey, an ox, sheep, or any animal to keep, if he dies, it hurt, is hurt or driven away, no one seeing it, then the oath of the Lord shall be between them both, and he has, put, uh, has not put it in his hand into his neighbor's goods, then the owner shall accept that he shall not make it good. But if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn in pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, and he shall not make good what is torn. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. If its owner was with it, he shall not make it good. If it was hired, it came for its hire. So there was, I mean, God's really being very detailed here, specific here about just covering all the different situations. But now that is another difference, right, in, about the New Testament dispensation. You know, Jesus told them, and, and I, I'm adamant about this, the Holy Spirit was here in the Old Testament. And in back the book of Acts said, when Isaiah was writing and prophesying, it was the Holy Spirit doing it, right? So just like you were bringing up, the Holy Spirit was speaking to Moses and through Moses. But what Jesus said to his followers before the day of Pentecost, he said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he shall be in you. So that's what changed in the New Testament. We have a different dispensation. So now, if you remember illustrating this when I taught on the Holy Spirit for a lot of weeks, it was like that child that, came once or twice a week to ride a bicycle and enjoy that moment. But then one day the owner of the bicycle said, hey, you can have the bicycle and take it home. It belongs to you now. So now all this detail don't necessarily have to be given to you and I because we know, right? When your shirt starts doing this and the Holy Spirit's putting some conviction on you, you know to say something or to stop something or whatever. You know, because the Holy Spirit's working in you saying, this is where we stop or this is what I need you to do. Somebody shared something with me uh, several days ago and they called me that afternoon. They said, please forgive me. I wasn't supposed to share that. It was a good deed that they'd done. Of course, I, it ain't going nowhere. But they were excited how God used them and they, they wanted to talk to me about it. And they... They told me about, and then they called me like an hour or two later and said, please forgive me. I felt like I was supposed to keep that between me and the Lord. I said, your secret's safe with me. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's uh, you, we know, right? And, and the reason they did that, because they felt a little conviction about 
uh, tooting their own horn, I guess. But I didn't take it that way. But uh, I appreciated their realness, right, and how they responded to that. So uh, the, all these details are given here, but it's different for you and I. Uh, Watchman Nee talks a lot about this, how the Holy Spirit works in us, how we can sense things that we wouldn't sense just in the natural, right? Uh, whether it's you can sense darkness or you can sense a good presence. I, I do that. I mean, when I walk in certain rooms, maybe in a hospital or a long-term care, you can sense spirits and presence and uh, different things. You go into different situations, you can sense it. <clears throat> well, well, let me... Uh, well, that's a good place to stop because it gets into the morals and the ceremonial principles there. So we'll pick up uh, verse 16 next week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercy and grace. You are always going around the corner before we get there. I've, I saw that again yesterday. I give you praise for that. We thank you for the time we've had together in Jesus' name.